Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by John Crampton. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Well, thanks, uh, Daryl and the team, for doing such a brilliant job last weekend. Uh, Lisa and I had a, a wonderful break and just enjoyed our time away. Um, it had been a bit of a long pull. Uh, the lockdown, as Daryl mentioned, you know, we went from one sermon a week to multiple, <laughs> multiple messages each week. But um, but there was a grace in it as well. You know, um, I, I'm still at one point. Hopefully, before it's all said and done, we'll we'll point back to the to one of the things about rest. That that actually was meant to be a season of rest. And, uh, and that when we, when we align ourselves with what God's doing in a season, then things make sense. It's amazing, you know, when we don't kick against the goad. Remember, there was this famous guy called Paul. He had a supernatural encounter. And, and, and the Lord said to him, why, how, you know, how long will you resist? You know? And if we are trying to do something that isn't the season that God is doing, we're going to find ourselves out of step. We're going to find ourselves chafing against the yoke. But he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. All right, Lord, where are you going with this yoke? Because I want to be equally yoked with you. And when we take on his yoke, when we are in line with him, we're going in the same direction as him, then there's no blistering and chafing. So when we understand what he's doing in the season and we go with what he's doing in the season, it's kind of like, okay, this makes a whole lot more sense. I can go with this. All right. I want us to draw from a prophet who prophesied about a lockdown before it happened. So that when it happened, the people would get a better perspective of what was happening during that lockdown period. Is that okay? Even if it's not okay, that's what I got. <laughs> There's this prophet in the, in the Old Testament, and uh, his name is Habakkuk, if you want to start looking him up so long. And Habakkuk was a contemporary of a guy called Jeremiah, and he lived in the period before Israel was taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. Israel had their, their nation being established, 
let's rewind several hundred years. They came out of Egypt and under the leadership of Moses and then with Joshua, they go in and they cross over, they transfer and, um, and they go into the promised land. And they're there under the judges for a number of years. And then they say, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. We also want a king. So then they first have a king called Saul. And he starts off well, but he ends off badly. And then David rises up. And uh, David's not perfect. He blew it a lot. Um, But his heart was towards the Lord. And, you know, that gives us a lot of encouragement. You know, if our hearts are, 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 are leaning towards the Lord, even if there are times when we mess up, but God is merciful, he's gracious, he's kind. And uh, so you've got David and so many prophetic words about a king would arise coming out of the lineage of David. And there would always be someone on the throne of David. That was prophesying of the Messiah. So they live in the land, then the next king is Solomon, and he has a great prayer, again, one of these kings who starts off well, and he said, you know, and God said, you know, what do you want? Choose anything. And, um, and he says, give me wisdom that I might lead your people well. And the Lord says, right, because you asked for that, I'll give it to you. But I'll also give you the other things you didn't even ask for. And I'll give you the wealth, and I'll give you success and peace and all of these things and he became not only the wisest man who ever lived but the wealthiest man who ever lived and he oversaw the building of the temple and the temple I mean it was crazy the the prosperity that was taking place probably in today's terms that temple would be equivalent to about 16 billion US dollars for one building God is not a cheap God. I mean, people came. Why do you think kings from other nations came? I mean, think about tourism today. You go and you want to look at the, at the wonders of the world. You, you, want to, you go somewhere, it's kind of like, wow, that's something to look at. Something extraordinary. Well, back in the day... It was temple tourism. Even the Queen of Sheba, you know, and it took you know, many, many weeks to travel, to journey, to get there. Probably months, um, you know, because of, of hearing of the, the splendor of this thing. 16 billion US dollars just for Solomon's temple. I mean, it was God's temple, but you understand it was under. His, his administration when it, was, when it was built. So God's not a cheap God. He doesn't you know, do everything just on the, on the down and dirty. And, you know. He's okay. Our mindsets get offended with this. We, we get hold of that Judas mindset. Oh, this perfume that was used as worship. Oh, expensive. A year's worth of salary. It should have been sold and the proceeds been given to the poor. That, come on, we, 
Okay, I'm not talking to you guys. Now I'm talking to the guys out there because it's safer. They can't throw things at me. Um, but the, the mindset is, you know what? Don't do anything extravagant for God. Everything must be given away. Everything must be, you know, for, for the poor, whatever. Don't do anything of value for the king and his kingdom. Jesus said, whoa, guys. You'll have plenty of opportunities to take care of the poor. This was an extravagant worship event. In fact, they will talk about this extravagant worship event forever. How about that? Anyway, back to Solomon's temple. They're there. Then they get a bunch of good kings, bad kings, bad kings, good kings, good kings, bad kings, bad kings, good kings. You know, it goes the cycle. And the people who are God's people, they forget the Lord and they go and do their own thing. And they're chasing after all of these other things. They're enjoying the blessing and the favor of God. At times they're in complete rebellion and they're embracing all kinds of things that God warned them. He said, don't do these things. If you do these things, it will be bad for you. But they went and they did them anyway. God raised up prophets, prophet after prophet after prophet. Some of them were above the ground and some of them were under the ground. Sorry, bad dad joke. It's the minor prophets. Good. Oh, they were so low. Anyway, so there were prophets, major ones because the books were long, minor ones because the prophecies, the books were short. All the words were the same importance. And Lord warned them and he called them. But the people thought they knew better or didn't heed it or didn't think God was serious about God's plans and purposes. You know, we're not that much different. Sometimes we think the story of life is all about us. Where in actual fact, the story is all about him. Hmm. We actually need to allow that to really saturate our thinking and to so be absorbed in us, by us, that our filters, our perspectives, our ways of processing things are actually through this grid of recognizing that the story is not about me. Because when the story is about me, oh, this lockdown's unfair. My career is taking strain. I'm uncomfortable 
about this, that, and the next thing. My rights are being trampled on. I deserve better than this. Lord, where are you? And we go through a whole number of accusations, really, moaning and groaning, because things turned out differently from what we had in our narrative, our story. Because we thought it was all about me. You know, Lord, surely you are there to make me happy. And so we even fashion a gospel after our own making. Come to Jesus and everything will be fine. Nope, didn't find that one there. It sounded nice, but it's not in here. Uh. So when we, when we view life and we look at the story as though it's all about me and my comfort and everything, you know, being hunky-dory, and there can be no trials... No tribulations, no hardships, no difficulties, because in my narrative, it's, you know, everything is 100% all of the time. And I want to edit out anything that is contrary to, to, to that view. Then I'm going to bump into a whole lot of things that actually cause me to evaluate what this is all about. You're going to come to a bunch of different conclusions. The one conclusion is, God, you failed because you didn't fit my story. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. So, God, you're at fault. And then we have the pointing finger. And the prophets say, put it away. Yeah, okay. Because God is perfect in all of his ways. So he can never make a mistake. I mean, this is theology like 101. Right, right at the beginning, theology. God is good, devil is bad. God can never stop being good. And of course, we come to understand that we are not that important. I mean, we think we are sometimes. But we, so we have to force ourselves to think. Actually, I'm not that important. That God would stop being God just in order to disappoint me. I mean, I've said this before here, but some of you, I don't recognize you. You're wearing masks and things. Just to say it really is so good to see you here this morning. And I welcome, I know a number of you here back for the first time and well done, great, so good. Um, we really appreciate you, you being with us. But God is not going to stop being God by changing his nature because he's revealed himself as the one who does not change. So if he had to suddenly become bad, wicked, 
become a failure, do something wrong, all right? Not be perfect in just one instance. He ceases, he stops being God. And I don't think you're that important that God is prepared to stop being God just to cause a disappointment for you. I'm, I'm kind of like plowing this one a bit. Because uh, that's going to give us the tool to undo this wrong conclusion. God, you failed me. God can never fail. So from my perspective, it looks like he's failed. But that's looking through the wrong lenses. That's looking at it as though I was the main character in the story and that it actually all revolves around me. Now, God has revealed the story. The true story is everything revolves around him. He is God. Hmm. When we begin to see life, our own individual life, circumstance, what's going on with my health, what's going on with my family, what's going on with my finances, what's going on with my political preferences, what's going on with the world economy, nations, rise and fall, all these different things. We need to recognize that actually it's about eternity. The eternal purposes of God. And my temporary happiness actually isn't the biggest deal of it all. So, Habakkuk. I've given you enough time to find it. Habakkuk, he starts out in uh, the first four verses. And um, you'd think that he was talking about South Africa. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife, corruption, conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice, the NPA, never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. It's kind of, it almost sounds like he's describing us. See, what's going on is, remember that, that story? The people of Israel, good kings, bad kings, and the people are going and doing their own thing, and they're not living according to God's ways. And all this stuff is happening. And the prophets cry out, say, Lord, how long are you going to let this thing go on for? All right? And then the Lord gives an answer. And you'll see that in Habakkuk 1 from verse 5 through to about verse 11. 
And God gives an answer, and you know what? The prophet doesn't like it. Because God says, I'm going to send lockdown. And lockdown, World Health Organization, a.k.a. Babylon, I'm just messing with you guys. Come on, relax, man. Quote me out of context. And it's never happened before. It's okay. God says, I heard your cries. I've heard the prayers. I'm doing something about it. And so I'm raising up the Chaldeans, otherwise known as the Babylonians. And they're going to come and they're going to sort out all this stuff. And there's going to be a lockdown. And you know what? Habakkuk doesn't like the answer. So then he goes back to God. The rest of chapter 1. And, uh, and he says, Lord, we know that there's wickedness on the earth. Remember, I was actually the one crying out. But this like heavy-handed response... This doesn't seem right. How can you use an unrighteous thing to bring about a correction? Because, I mean, your people are not that bad. Look, I know we were crying out violence and wickedness and all these things, but to use that to sort out this, oh, This is, this is not really fair. So there's a wrestling that's going on between the prophet and what God is doing in the nation and in the nations. Because the Lord would raise up a nation for a time and a season. And if... They did things that were against his will and his purposes. He would give them an opportunity to repent. But there would come a time when he would say, all right, you've made your decision. Now there's some consequences that you need to eat as a result of all the seeds you've been planting. And so they reap, if you like, the consequences of their choices. And the Lord would then lower them and raise another nation to actually sort them out. But all of this fits into the eternal plans and purposes of God so that ultimately his name would be raised above every other name. So in this, in this process, um, There's this quandary going on. This is even before it's happened. We're still in the prophetic stages here. This is, this is not Haggai and Zechariah, you know, on the other side of the 70 years. This is before the 70 years has even begun. And there's this wrestling going on 
Like, how is it possible, Lord, that you would allow things like this to take place? How is it that this is going to serve your purposes? How about some of us have been through a wrestle these last six months? Lord, how is what's going on in the world fitting with your plans and purposes? How does this align with what you have released, declared, prophesied over our city, Joyburg, and over our nation, South Africa? How does this fit with what's going on in my own life? Okay. Now remember, sorry guys sitting on the side, if you're at the center of your story, you're going to be very disappointed by some of the background circumstances, the, the things that you're going through, because if you're the center of the story, look, you want to be the hero, but you don't want to have any scars. But when we stop and we say, hang on, wait a minute, it's actually all about his story. He's at the center of it all. And the amazing thing is that I have been included in the storyline. He is the main character, but at least I'm in the story. I haven't been left out. You know, I shouldn't have even been in the story, but because of his grace and his mercy and his kindness, he's invited me into the story. He's written me into the story. Oh my goodness. And as the story is playing out and there's conflict, there's war, there's crossfire, there's all these kinds of things, but we know ultimately our hero is going to win. But against the backdrop of all these things, we're leopard crawling through the trenches. Bullets are flying above us. There's explosions here everywhere. Rats are trying to nibble on our feet. This is war. Cosmic battle. Of all of the ages. Ultimately we know. The victorious one. Will be victorious. And we're so. Kind of like oh my goodness. We were written into this side of the story. Imagine if we were excluded from this story. We were left outside. Oh. That would be disastrous. But because of his love and his kindness, he invited us into the story. But it's his story, not our story. And as his story unfolds, he's so big. He's bigger than nations. He's bigger than world systems. And he causes things to rise up and then he causes things to go back down again that people might see no matter how big you build your thing, it will never be bigger than him. And so he allows things to get really big and then he just like does a little bit of a shaking. He just... Taps his footstool. Heaven in his throne. Earth is his footstool. He just taps along to the music. The angels are singing. He just taps his toes. And the footstool, the earth just... 
shakes. And everything that can be shaken will be shaken. It's just a tiny little shaking going on. But because we're in it, we're part of the backstory, if you know what I mean. We, we're seeing all this stuff colliding and falling around us, and some of it is actually falling on us. We're kind of like, oh, this is not fair, you know, because if we're thinking this kind of storyline, we think it's all about our comfort. But it's not. This is not the story. You don't want to be in this story. The story doesn't have a happy ending. Temporarily, you might think there are a couple of good lines in it. But ultimately, the plot is bad. No, we want to be in this story. And even those who, according to this world's standards and ways of looking at things, get a raw deal. Like those who get persecuted for their faith. Like those who actually lose their lives because of persecution. They get a real special deal in the kingdom. Now on earth, we're doing everything we can to avoid pain, suffering, Death. Nee. But everyone wants to go to heaven. How are you going to get there? Okay. They did it again. Please, Daryl, would you talk to the technical team? Ask them, stop advancing that clock like that. <laughs> I better give you the highlights package now. So the Lord says, I'm going to send the Babylonians. He's going to send you into lockdown. We're going to sort out all of this violence, this crime, this corruption, this injustice, all these things that you don't like, what's happening around you. I'm going to send the Babylonians. He then complains, Lord, how can you do this? They're more wicked than what we were, and this is unfair, what, 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 whatever. And the Lord says, hey, don't worry. I will use the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. But you know what? A time will come and I'm going to sort them out too. Because they're going to get so full of themselves because they think that they bring in about, you know, a solution and a this and a that. But actually because of their pride, their haughtiness, all these other things, I will sort them out. It says, oh, and by the way, in the middle of that, this is chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, oh, by the way, even though they are haughty and whatever, they'll come down. But the righteous will live by faith. The righteous ones, by faith, will live. This thing can be, can be taken around four different ways. It's absolutely beautiful. But the righteous person will live by his faith or his faithfulness. 
Faith we have, it's a gift from him. We receive faith from him. We will live by his faith. We will live forever. Eternal life comes because he gives us the gift of faith that we might believe in him, that we might be saved. It's his faith that he gives to us. But also, it's his faithfulness that's carrying us. It's our faith in him, our faith in his faithfulness. So this is a great play on words. It's his faithfulness, his ability that's going to carry us through. Carry us through. We're going to live. And we, get, we are righteous by our faith in him. So Abram believed in God and was credited to him as righteousness. That faith causes us to access righteousness. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous, by faith, will live. It's through faith in God, in his story, in what he's doing, we're going to live. And this is the eternal life that we're living. An eternal life, it starts the moment we say yes to Jesus. And it continues. Some of, it, some of our eternal life will live here on the planet. And some of our eternal life we will live in our glorified bodies. And some of our eternal life will live back down in the renewed earth. That's a whole nother teaching. Hmm. Don't run away just yet. Goes on in verse 14, Habakkuk 2 14. He says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The whole context here is the Babylonian empire is so big and so strong and there's such a glory that they have. He says, hang on, listen, don't worry, the time will come. They will come down, but the earth will be filled with the knowledge, the experiential knowledge that earth will know the glory of God. Even as the waters are covering the sea, how much water in the sea? That's the whole thing. So he's the glory of the Lord just visible everywhere. We'll be covered in his glory. Isn't that good? So as, as big as anything else appears to be, however tough, difficult, whatever, don't worry. It's nothing in comparison to when the glory of the Lord is being revealed. Yeah? So Habakkuk. He's got the, the headlines of the future because he's seen the, seen the newspaper headlines before. Okay, there's going to be a lockdown. It'll be the Babylonians, but God will sort them out. He says, all right. Then he prays, chapter three. And he comes to the place of faith. Lord, all these things, crazy as they may be, but I trust you. And in the lockdown that's going to come, in verse 16, he says, you know, I'm going to wait patiently. There's a, there will be a day of calamity that will come on the Babylonians. I'll wait patiently for that. There will be a vision. Write it on the tablet. You know, 
amazing. Prophesied all those years ago. Write it on the tablet. You can run with it. It's amazing, you know. And um, even if it waits, even if it tarries, just hold on, hang in there. God will come through. And then this just... This revelation, this statement of faith, this conviction, this recognition, it's about him and his story. It's not about me. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my Strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. That thing of the heights, it's, it's speaking about the high places in God. Supernatural encounters, those, those high and lofty things. He strengthens us. He opens up realms to us. These high places, we will taste and see the goodness of God. He says, you know what? The old narrative would have been, hey, better be sheep in the pen. Better be figs and olives. You said it was going to be a land flowing with milk and money. <laughs> better have that in my storyline. No. Throw that book away. Maybe burn it. So Lord, it's all about you. Oh, we can trust you. Even if there are things happening we don't understand. Like why did my business fail? How could you let this happen, Lord? All these difficulties, all these restrictions, the, these, these things that have come against us and we've perhaps taken personally. Come to the realization. Oh, I will yet praise the Lord. You're never going to fail. You're never going to let me down. You're never, never going to fail. You are good, good. Whoa, whoa. Yes, you are good. Now it's easy in the song. But can you walk this Monday morning? That's what this is all about. Let's stand.
So how about we put out our hands as a sign of, Lord, we, we surrendering ourselves to you and your plans and your purposes. We're also, Lord, we need, we need full of you to give us the strength and the ability to live your story, to lay our story down and to pick up your story. So Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. Would you come? Would you give us your narrative, your perspective? Give us the eyes to see eternal things. And give us a heart that is yielded to you, full of faith. Because we will live by your faith, your faithfulness. Thank you that our place will be filled with the experiential knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's not just going to happen somewhere far away in another place, but right here in this place, let this part of earth be filled. Know and experience the glory of the Lord. Let revival break out. Let an outpouring be released here in Joyburg. Take us to the next level. Lord, you are our strength. You cause us to go up onto the heights to experience the glory of the Lord as Moses experienced your glory on the top of the mountain. Cause us to be on the top of the mountain. And Lord, it's not about our circumstances. It's about you. We rejoice in you. We will praise you. We will serve you. To you be praise, glory, honor, now and evermore. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the love of God our Father, enfold us, envelop us, carry us, be with us through this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen, amen. Come on, let's just praise the Lord for his goodness to us, his kindness. Hallelujah. Amen.